Welcome to Pictures of Grace, a Fraser 365 Advent devotional. My name is Chris Montgomery, senior pastor of Fraser Church, and I'm so glad you're on this Advent journey with us. May the Lord bless you today as we learn about His unmerited grace. Welcome to Day 21 of Pictures of Grace, an Advent daily devotional. The title of today's devotion is God of Judgment and Grace. Francis Frangiping once said, Redemption is the payment of a debt or obligation. There were notes, warrants held against us. We are all debtors to God. But by his death on the cross, Jesus satisfied the warrants held against us. The moment you accepted Jesus into your heart, all the things you ever did wrong, every evil thought, every angry word, and every wicked deed, each of which deserved its own punishment, were stamped, redeemed, paid in full by our Father in heaven. Jesus paid for them all with his blood. He is our Redeemer. Today's text comes from Ruth chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. And Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. These last few verses in Ruth seem to be simple genealogy. But God's word is always more than just mere words on a page. Every word is valuable because all scripture is inspired by God to bring wisdom into our lives. I will leave the depth of this discussion to one much wiser than myself, M.R. Dahan. Here, the story should be ended, but instead there is an added genealogy. The Holy Spirit added the closing five verses for a very definite purpose. Strange ending indeed for a love story, just a fragmentary genealogy, a single branch from a family tree. There are just 10 names in this list, beginning with Perez, son of Judah, and ending with David, king of Israel. It begins with an illegitimate child and ends with a great king. It is the story of grace, grace, grace. The story of a poor, unworthy, Gentile widow becoming the happy bride of the wealthy Boaz. But the brief genealogy is for an additional reason, to show the righteousness and justice of God. To illustrate the justice of God, David was the first man in Israel who had a right to Israel's throne. He was a descendant of Perez, the illegitimate son of Judah. We have the sordid record in Genesis 38. Remember Tamar from our first picture of grace in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar had twins through a deceitful strategy to trick her father-in-law into sleeping with her. One of those twins was named Perez, who is mentioned here in Ruth. I love how God ties the picture of his grace into an art gallery of his goodness. The significance of all this will become evident as we see God's provision. The genealogy begins, therefore, with Perez, and then there follow nine names, making a total of ten. Just ten, no more, no less, just ten. Perez, Hezron, Ram, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, 
and David, exactly ten in number. Jesse, the father of David, the king, was the ninth, and David himself the tenth. Believing as we do in the infallible inspiration of the scriptures, we immediately look for a reason for this strange ending in the book of Ruth. We have the answer given, however, when we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. Here is God's own commandment regarding the situation of an illegitimate child. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. Here is the definite command of the Lord that no child born out of wedlock should ever be admitted into Israel until the tenth generation. Nine is thought to be the number of judgment, and the judgment of sin must first be fulfilled. Only after nine generations may a person, therefore, who is a descendant born of this unholy practice, take his place in testimony, for ten is the number of testimony." The expression, no one born of forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord, had referenced to a place in the royal line of Israel. It did not imply being a social outcast. Ancient rabbis interpreted it to mean that no descendant of an illegitimate child could sit upon the throne of Israel until the 10th generation. This seems to be the correct meaning as recorded in the actual history of Israel. God never departs from his word, and generations after he keeps his command. It was, therefore, impossible for any of the descendants of Perez to sit on Israel's throne for ten generations. And when Israel under Samuel demanded a king, God could not give them a legitimate king from the royal tribe of Judah, because the curse of Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 2 still rested upon them. When Israel demanded a king, it was only the ninth generation since Perez, the son of Sin, the son of Judah. Jesse, who was then in the line, was only the ninth. David was the tenth, but was not yet ready, probably not yet born. Since the curse of ten generations was upon the line of Judah, the kingly line, until David should be ready for the work of the Lord, God could not honor the request of Israel for a king. And so he steps outside the tribe of Judah into the tribe of Benjamin and gives them Saul, the son of Kish, instead. In light of all this, can you deny or doubt the supernatural, infallible inspiration of the scriptures? If I personally had no other evidence of this supernatural authorship of this wonderful book than this closing genealogy in Ruth, it would be entirely enough for me. Wow, what insight from Dahan. And I love that last quote. Just this one instance in scripture is enough for us to understand that God's word is infallible and that God obeys his own word. God always keeps his word, scripture, while at the same time he restores and redeems his children through his grace. This balance of judgment and grace is why God sent his son Jesus. Only in Jesus, our spotless Passover lamb, could God righteously pay the penalty for our sin and save those who would put their trust in him. That's why we call it saving grace. As you think about today's reading, reflect on the following questions. God is both a God of his word and God of grace. How does his balance of both create in you more of an admiration for who he is? What are your thoughts on the following statement from today's devotion? God never departs from his word, and generations afterward, he keeps his command. 
How does Jesus coming to fulfill the law become the greatest picture of grace? Let's pray. Abba Father, thank you for both your grace and justice. Today, may we better understand how both are revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior. Amen.